As the children make their way downstairs, um, upstairs, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We continue in this season of Advent to celebrate 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So as last week we um, studied the topic of faith, this week we come to the celebration of hope. And so Matthew 3 will take us uh, to John the Baptist, and he's announcing a message of hope. Though perhaps the text to us will sound a bit strange in some ways, or maybe we're used to it in other ways. But I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 3, 1 through 12, with a lens of hope. What hope is being offered um, in, in what we read today? And so before we come to God's word, let's pray together for God's spirit to bless the reading of the word. Let's pray. God, as we come to you, we come not with a fear that leads to terror, but with a fear that leads to reverence, for you are holy and you are good. And Lord, as we come to you, we come with that reverence and we come with hope. Hope more than just um, a naive optimism, but hope that finds its substance in you. So be our hope and let our ears and hearts that long for hope be filled in the reading of your word this day. By the power of your Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, in our minds, that we may respond with our lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Matthew 3, verse 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers!' Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
that text is intense and forcefully intense. And what I'll share with you this morning, I don't mean to remove any of the intensity, but to invite you into some of my own inner dialogue, how every time I hear this text, a certain holiday Christmas movie classic comes to mind. And the movie, this will make sense in a minute, the movie is Home Alone. And if you're familiar with Home Alone, Kevin McAllister left Home Alone for an undisclosed number of days. Um, finds himself um, with all the freedom that he has uh, to do all the things that he would not be allowed to do if his parents were home. Uh, so at one point, he is uh, watching a, a fictional movie that they made up for the purpose of Home Alone called Angels with Filthy Souls. And it's, a gangst- it's an old black and white gangster style movie. And the main character, who I don't know the name of, in the movie that Kevin is watching, has this particular tagline And you know it if you've seen this movie. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. And then he shoots a gun and a happy new year. The reason this connects to Matthew 3 in my head is the the intensity of John the Baptist saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, you brood of vipers, And if we weren't already sticking with faith, hope, and love as the themed sermon titles, I guarantee you I would have called today's sermon, Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers. And it just would not seem a very hospitable title to put on the bulletin. So we'll stick with hope. But John the Baptist is intense. And and there's this, this paradox that's happening between people in this whole region of the Jordan who are coming to him And they're finding hope in what John the Baptist offers. And then when the Pharisees and Sadducees show up, there's kind of a a fear-inducing bent that he takes. Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers, is essentially what John the Baptist is saying to the religious leaders of his day. Matthew 3 is kind of a strange text. There's a lot of references to fire, There's references to a winnowing fork or a pitchfork. But let's break it down in the midst of all that intensity, lest the the text seems strange to us in ways that it shouldn't, or too familiar in ways that it should not get too familiar with us. Breaking away the anger that flashes within John, we still have that core attribute of Advent, which is hope. And we need hope. In fact, this text is really a text of hope. But at first glance, it seems a bit scary, a bit forceful, a bit fearful even. And that makes sense when you think about hope's main competition, fear. When I say hope's main competition, I'm not talking about Calvin today, Mark Nordheis and others. Fear and hope are always linked together. Fear and hope, you could say they are two sides of the same coin. Um, What I would hold on to is that fear and hope are linked, and they are both forms of currency. And the question is, what spending decisions do you make with each one? But fear and hope are linked. What What you hope for and what you are afraid of go together. Think of maybe the the simple everyday example of, I hope I make it on time, 
because you're afraid that you'll be late. I hope we can find a time to get together as a family. The fear is that maybe with our busy schedules, we can't. Also, some people hearing that might have the fear of the wrath of relatives if we don't find a time. In more serious ways, when we're awaiting results from a scan or a test, we might say that we're hoping for good results because we're afraid that they won't be so good. When there's a chronic illness and, and death is anticipated, we might say things like, I hope that they can make it until. Or the person themselves might say, I hope that I'm still alive to see X, Y, or Z happen. With the reality is that's linked to the fear that I might not be. Hope and fear go together. What you hope for, what your longing and aspirations are for yourself or for the world or for anything around you, what you are hoping for to be good or better than it is now is linked to what we are afraid of. This changes through seasons of life, but hope and fear emotionally are linked together inseparably. And I don't mean that one is bad and one is good. It is fear that gives us a reverence of God who is holy. It's fear that we want to instill in young children so that they don't hope that they can climb to the highest tree and hope that they can jump from one branch to the other. Fear does help keep us safe sometimes. So we do need the type of fear that tempers us, that makes us wise and thoughtful. And hope is a good thing, and we need hope, but, but misplaced hope can become just a naive optimism. Hope needs substance, and fear needs to be in its proper place to make sure that the decisions that we make as we weigh in on what to do, that our decisions are not all made out of fear and scarcity, but that we need hope to be the force that drives us forward as well, knowing that we might still be nervous, knowing that we might still be afraid, but hope has to be the primary currency, not fear making all of the decisions on what we do or don't do. Hope and fear go together, they react to one another, and they stir within our souls. This passage, Matthew chapter 3, from all the references to unquenchable fire and, and a brood of vipers and everything else. This is a passage of hope. Because hope is contagious. Hope is contagious. It, it spreads because it's an inspirational force in the same way that fear can be easily spread. But the people in the region that John is, Jerusalem, Judea, and the entire region of the Jordan, John is giving them hope because the message that God gave him to proclaim is one of hope. And it is met because the people in John's time have real fears. The world has not been a fair place to them. The world is not always a safe place. We can relate in the same ways that the world is not always fair. It's not always safe. And after 400 years of waiting, of not having a prophet rise up among the people of Israel... Onto the scene comes John the Baptist, preaching this message of, of a kingdom. 
that is coming. And just his very presence and nature is getting the people's hope up again that God is on the move, that something is about to change, that the world is about to turn for the better. John is a symbol of hope. And he's peculiar. And Matthew, in fact, takes the time to describe how he's dressed and what he's eating, not just because it's interesting, but because that description would resonate with every Jew living in John's day. When, they hear, when we hear that description, what the people of Israel would immediately think of is Elijah. Elijah the prophet from, from those good old days when God would raise up a prophet and that prophet would go against kings and tyrants proclaiming the way of the Lord. Hope has excitement behind it that, that Elijah has to come back before the Messiah comes and people are wondering and hoping that John the Baptist is Elijah, that he's preparing the way for the Lord to come. John is a prophet. And people are excited once again that there just might be some good news coming to them in a world that has not been full of good news. In fact, a world that has been unjust, hurtful, easily frightened, and one of rather bad news. John inspires hope in people. And this is not just John on his own. This is the Spirit of God moving within John to stir hope among the people once more. And hopefully, like us, the hope that is stirred up by John the Baptist, by his preaching, by his movement, finds an action step. And verse 6 is the action step that is found in John the Baptist's ministry. Confessing their sins... They were baptized by him, John, in the river. John was not someone who was patting people's egos, and he was not patting their pockets either. But John's message of hope led the people to be baptized, to confess their sins, to seek the fruit of repentance. Because hope is not just a naive optimism. Hope finds an action step. People came to confess their sins. And maybe in a world where there seems to be so much that's out of your control, so many things that you can't fix or change or even wrap your mind around to understand, all of a sudden John's message says, you know what, I may not be able to change everything in the world, but I do have control over my own heart. And so a movement began by the transformation of the, of the Holy Spirit that people were preparing their hearts Hope became contagious. And it became so contagious, it became such a movement that the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, could not ignore it any longer. Because John's message, Jerusalem, Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan, it's like something that started in just North Holland then got spread to Holland and Zealand, and then spread to all of Ottawa County and the whole region of West Michigan, however you want to define it. John's message of hope is going viral, and that was a lot harder to do before Twitter. And it got the attention of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And some of the hope that the people are finding that the world can be different is kind of a threat to the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
this talk of a different kingdom that John offers, this kingdom of the Lord, is a threat because the Pharisees and Sadducees, respectively, were very good at making deals with Rome and with King Herod. So all of these people finding hope in John, outside of the Pharisees and Sadducees, outside of their authority, their hope actually becomes a threat that the Pharisees and Sadducees, maybe it started out as curiosity, but it has now become fear because this strange camel-hair-wearing country hick is getting all kinds of attention and people are tuned in to what he has to say. Hope of some people is the fear of another. And thus we get this showdown between John and the Pharisees and Sadducees. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And John tells them what to do, consistent with the message that we know of John. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This is where the people that are coming to John are finding their hope. And this is the action step that he's asked to to not worry so much about the worldly influence that you've gained by being friends with Herod, to not gain more authority, power, and latitude by making more deals with Rome, but by producing fruit in keeping with repentance. This is where the action step of hope is found. It's an invitation to preparation, as is the season of Advent. But John also has to call out false hope. Because as as much as we try to be careful about what we hope for, we all can have misplaced hope. Consider that what the Pharisees are already thinking is what John calls out in verse 9. Do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones can raise up children, God can raise up children for Abraham. Our hope is not found by who we are, as in who we're related to or how important we are. Our hope is not found in status or other measures of authority. John the Baptist is calling out the Pharisees and Sadducees for their false hope. Hope placed in the wrong spots is no hope at all because it will not deliver. John is calling the people to this bigger kingdom vision that God is on the move again and that we should be ready and that there's all kinds of preparations to be done, but it starts with keeping the fruit of repentance as an individual, but as a community. Because John was sent to all the people. This is individual. It's very personal, and it is also corporate and communal. There's hope. There's fear. And there's false hope. But is it good news? When you read this text, do you hear good news or does it stir up more fear or just utter befuddlement with all of this fire language of burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire? Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Maybe it strikes us as a little bit strange and harsh. And we wonder just how did John the Baptist become so popular in this region? 
It's good news if we read the verses together in the right ways, that, that John's whole speech that we read today is, is, is more than just souls going to heaven and souls going to hell. Now, we have parables of, of the seed of weeds being grown up with the wheat and then harvested together and separated, some good grain and some to be thrown into the fire. But here, I want to invite you to just try on the ways in which verses 6, verse 8, and verse 12 go together. Starting with verse 12, actually. His winnowing fork is in his hand. It's, it's pitchfork. It's used for separating out grain from chaff. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That sounds intense as it is kind of intense. But I invite you to wonder if that threshing floor, it is the whole world, it's the community of Israel, but it's for all of us. But if you pay attention to the way the wording is used in verse 6, what the result of John's message is, is that people were confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River because they were recognizing that they had chaff in their own life, as we all do. They had stuff that was in the way. And that's what's getting cleared out. That's what's being washed away in baptisms of repentance. And it's what is being burned away by God's Spirit. So produce fruit, verse 8, in keeping with repentance. Don't try to put your hope in other places. But the fruit that we're seeking, the grain of all of this, is what is good in the eyes of God. Now, chaff, or whatever you want to call it by, I think more of us are corn and soybean familiar. There's stalks and pods and corn cobs and all that stuff that gets thrown out of the back of the combine. And maybe it's a helpful reminder to know that the grain grew on the chaff. What becomes the chaff was, in fact, very necessary. The chaff is what the wheat grew on. Our pain, our messes, our addictions might just be what we grew from. But when I see this vision of the winnowing fork, it becomes less scary to me even though pitchforks are often associated with being scary, you know, angry mobs with uh, torches and pitchforks. Although in my real life, like face-to-face, I've never seen an angry mob with torches or pitchforks. I have seen a lot of pitchforks, and they're just a tool for getting a job done. Often an unpleasant job, jobs that smell, often jobs that are dusty and dirty and and asthma-producing for some of us. But a pitchfork is just used to separate out, to cling to what is good and get rid of all the other junk. A winnowing fork is a reminder, a symbol of of separating out, even within our own hearts, what doesn't need to have space in our hearts. Because there's all kinds of things competing for space in our time and in our hearts. And that the winnowing fork starts with us. This text does not give us permission to say, Those people are wheat and those people are chaff. Those people will be gathered up to God and those people will be thrown into the unquenchable fire. No, the winnowing fork starts with your heart. 
with repentance, with preparation, with being aware of the darkness to make room for the great and glorious light. So that our hope is, is not a displaced blame of the world would be better if someone else would do this. Or once this happens, the world will be okay again. This is an invitation to be mindful of separating out our own lives and also of what God will do. Doesn't it sound like good news to imagine what if the chaff in our world is hunger? We give over 50 bags of food a week across the street. What if the chaff is hunger and that that could be separated out and, and that hunger and, and poverty could be thrown into the unquenchable fire and what would remain would be abundance, like the revelation vision of where there is bread without cost. What if as we continue to pray for areas of sickness that, that, that disease and pain were thrown into the fire and that what was left was a body that is imperishable, as is the resurrection vision? What if the war and injustice and death throughout the world were separated out and thrown into the fire and what was left was peace? The imagery might be intense, but that's because change is often painful and the vision of change that is given in the Gospel of Matthew, starting with John the Baptist, is that all of the junk in the world will be separated out and what will remain is truly good. Now, the scale is global. It's a kingdom vision. But it starts by preparing our own hearts, by being mindful enough of what we're hoping for and what we're afraid of, and that we can separate that out and to get rid of the things that are fears that are just there to hold us back and cling to the hope that moves us forward, that we press on in hope. And that we're willing to separate maybe with some chaff that we kind of like to hold on to. I think of Psalm 46. Often we just know the verse, be still and know that I am God. But it starts with a much more violent sounding text of he breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the shields with fire because he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. Wars shall cease. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. It's the same vision that the Isaiah passage um, read at the Advent wreath reading is today. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. And until he has brought justice through to victory... And in his name, nations will put their hope. Friends, this is a busy season of life. I don't need to tell you that. As everything competes for our time, as we're stressed, as we take stock of our own lives, as we pay attention to what we hope for and what we're afraid of, it's worth remembering to hold on to true hope. Not Fear, not anger or malice, strife or divisions, factions or the like from Galatians, but to hold on to the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Jesus is the substance of our hope. And the fruit of repentance, the, the good that is separated out in the threshing floor of our own souls, is what we're asked to hold on to and to be mindful of in Advent. Hope is contagious, and hope is worth holding on to even as our fear might remain with it. That's why today, I want us to finish with a little action step. On the ends of the pews, you'll see little pieces of paper. They're all kinds of different colors, but I want you all to take one. This is not an optional exercise. This is a forced choice. Yay! (laughs) As you take a piece of paper... I want you to think about what you're hoping for right now. And maybe it might be something small because hope has to start somewhere. Maybe it's a a smaller thing. Maybe it's just something very personal and, and close to your heart. Maybe your vision of hope is really, really big and it still needs to start with some action step somewhere. But as you consider, what are you hoping for? knowing that that Jesus is the substance of our hope and his kingdom is the vision of our hope. I want you to just write down something that you're hoping for. It could be a word. It could be a sentence. It can be a prayer. What you write is not as important as that you do think about it with your head and with your heart of what you're hoping for. You don't have to share your deepest fears. I mean, that brood of vipers language, there's nothing grosser to me than thinking about a nest of snakes. That's just disgusting. But the hope that you have, write it down. And we'll give you a little bit more time on this, but here's how we're going to go from here. You do have two options for what you do with this hope. If this is something that you need to take home with you to remind you, if your hope has an action step that you need to follow up on, then do that this week and take that piece of paper with you, put it in your pocket, in your purse, but take it home with you as a reminder to hold on to hope. If that's what you need to do to follow through, then please do that. But if it's something that you're willing to share, and you don't have to sign your names to these, but if it's something that you're willing to share then I invite you to write down what you hope for and leave it in the pew. And these will be collected and used. So once again, sign your name or not, that's up to you. I'm more interested in the hope than whose hope it is. Leave it in the pew. And we're going to do something with these next week. And I will tell you that I hope that it works out in a certain way. And my hope is related to my fear. My fear is that it might not, and it'll just be a big mess. Um, but I have enough hope to try this. So are we good on those instructions? Take your hope with you if you need to do that, to follow through on it. If hope needs an action step in your life, take it home. But if you want to share this hope, leave it here. Leave it in the pew when you exit today. And we'll see what comes out of it next week. But friends, this I know is that when we share hope, Hope becomes contagious. It has to start somewhere, so let it start with you. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for the gift of your word. As we think about visions of pitchforks and fire, help us to remember that this is good news for us, that you want to separate out the chaff in our lives, and that you want to offer us good and full and true hope. So may the hope that we have, may it spur us on May the hope that we have be held on to. May the hope that we have be refined by you in the ways where it needs to be corrected. And may the hope that we have have life breathed into it by your Holy Spirit that we may use our hope to honor you in all that we say, think, and do until your kingdom has fully come. Lord, thank you for the gift of hope. May we spread it in this busy and stressful month. May hope still reign in our hearts. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.